Good morning, everybody out in Health Chatter land. Welcome to, to Health Chatter in our episode today on fentanyl. We'll be getting into that in a minute. We have a great uh, background crew that's helped us put together some great research for this show. Maddie Levine-Wolf and Aaron Collins um, do wonderful work for us. So Clarence and I kind of sound smart when we do these when we do these shows. In addition, um, we have Matthew Campbell, who's our production manager, who takes care of all the logistics of getting these shows out, uh, any editing that we need, and all the technical aspects. And thank you to, to everybody. It's a uh, it's a wonderful team and uh, we really greatly appreciate it. Also I greatly appreciate my my dear colleague Clarence Clarence Jones who We've been doing this for it's got it's closing it on a year. February will be a year where we we kicked off Health Chatter and it's been very successful. So thank you to 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 Clarence. And with that, I'm going. Oh, and by the way, I forgot we have a, a great sponsor. Human Partnership is uh, our our community partner that really helps us uh, get the word out. And uh, they've been very, very helpful to, to the show. So with that, uh, Clarence, I'm gonna give it to you and you can introduce our illustrious guests for today's show. Thanks, Dan. I am excited about today's show. I'm excited because it is a area that uh, I've been working in probably for the last, at least last three years with the uh, the city of Minneapolis around the issue of substance abuse and drug overdoses and things like that. And I had this opportunity to meet uh, our guest today, Dr. Ziwe Nataba, uh, in some of our work. And I have, I can just honestly tell you how, how impressed I am, not only with his knowledge, but also with his passion for trying to address this issue. You know, as you know, we are out in the community and we recognize the the great challenges that we have and, and the, the even greater challenges that we have to overcome as it relates to substance abuse. And so uh, Dr. Z-Way and I have had opportunity to talk a lot about different things, but the issue of fentanyl has been one of the overriding conversations that we had. And so we thought it was great to bring him in today and to talk about the issue of, of fentanyl and uh, talk about his work in terms of trying to address this issue. Uh, Dr. Natabi is a physician. He's the, uh, at the University of Minnesota Medical Center. He's in, he's in emergency medicine, but he's also assistant professor at the U of M Department of Emergency Medicine. Uh, he has spent time in uh, uh, East Africa. Uh, he co-founded Village Health Work. Uh, he's done a lot of things. Uh, he's a Bush fellow. I was, uh, I was excited to learn that out of uh, 530, eight applicants, he was one of the 24 people selected. And I can understand why they selected him because of not only, like I said, because of his, his, his knowledge, but also because of his passion and interest in terms of educating the community and making changes at the local and regional level. And uh, uh, he's been on TED Talk. Uh, I, I mean, I can go on to a lot of different kinds of things, but I think more, what's most important for me is that this is someone who I've met who is truly invested in trying to make the community better. 
and he has he 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 puts his words into action. And that for me is always the most important factor as it relates to to dealing with some of these issues. So Dr. Uh, Z-Way, uh, I want to welcome you to help chatter and uh, thank you for taking <clears throat> time to talk to us and to our listeners. Yeah, hey, good morning. Um, thank you, Clarence and Stan, for, for inviting me into this, uh, this show, this format. Um, you're absolutely right, Clarence. This is a, a topic that I'm passionate about uh, spending more of my more and more of my time upon. Um, you know, in the emergency room, we're in a position where we're seeing a lot of mental health and addiction, um, uh, especially one of the hospitals I work in, Riverside. Um, it's probably two thirds of our most common uh, presentations are around mental health and addiction. Uh, concerns around our patients. And uh, in that mix, we're seeing uh, just increasing proportions of, um, you know, technically synthetic opioid uh, concerns. Um, we use the term fentanyl more broadly because um, it's what people understand. But uh, basically what we're challenged with is the amount of synthetic opioids that are um, uh, circulating in the community and how that's a different type of disease uh, than prior addiction waves with the prescription narcotics and uh, heroin before that. Um, so it's really a, a, a pleasure for me to be on this show with you talking about this um, because as you mentioned, you know, some of my other experiences outside of the emergency room um, working in public health initiatives in, in East Africa and West Africa and in the South Pacific, um, the common denominator for effective responses to public health emergencies, uh, like the fentanyl crisis, uh, really starts at the community level, uh, really starts with understanding and conversations um, with community members, with individual patients. Um, and then as we glean insight from the community level, we can then better respond uh, either as health systems or as uh, the public sector, private sector. Um, so these are the reasons I'm really excited to be on this show and have the opportunity to talk about these issues. Well, Dr. Z, I, I want to ask this question. I mean, it just seems like, all of, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but it appears that fentanyl has just exploded on the, on the, on the scene. I don't know if it's as a result of, of the COVID uh, uh, pandemic or what, but uh, it, it just seems like there's so much conversation now about fentanyl and what it's doing. Can you tell us exactly what is fentanyl? And then can you talk about, you know, why has it become such a even greater issue that we have to face as a community? Yeah, so fentanyl um, or synthetic opioids are similar to um Heroin or morphine, um, morphine is a natural occurring opioid. Um, heroin is a semi-synthetic opioid uh, and fentanyl is a, a fully synthetic opioid. Uh, so on a chemical level, uh, those are the general breakdowns. Um, all of these opioid compounds um, from the natural occurring to the synthetics interact with uh, receptors in our brain 
um, what are called endorphin receptors. Uh, endorphin essentially means endogenous morphine. So our, our, our biology is geared uh, to interact with endorphins in just daily life, uh, things like, you know, the runner's high or things like um, what mothers experience in childbirth. Uh, there are well-established, well-understood, uh, naturally occurring mechanisms that involve endorphin. Um, uh, when you have a synthetic opioid uh, like fentanyl um, that's really manufactured uh, in a in a chemistry lab somewhere to have a maximal fit. Uh, if you're thinking about like a lock and key mechanism, uh, it's a very uh, tight and sticky fit in the endorphin receptor uh, that these synthetics um, are able to achieve. So. For these reasons, uh, they become increasingly more potent and more addictive um, or harder to shake uh, in, terms of, in terms of daily use. So for me, it's helpful to understand that uh, there's a biological basis uh, for a lot of these addiction uh, concerns that we're seeing around synthetic opioids. Um, you know, people use terms like behavioral health or people use, uh, I think there's a lot of stigma around addiction because people think it's a, a recreational use or uh, a lifestyle choice. But when it comes to something, especially like synthetic opioids, there's really a biological basis uh, for what we call substance use disorder. Um, and you ask, why are we seeing this? Uh, worse and worse in recent years. I think it's a combination of things. I think the supply of uh, synthetic opioids in our communities uh, across the country is increasing at um, uh, a very stark exponential rate from year upon year. The uh, amount of fentanyl in, uh, in our country nowadays is probably 10 times more than it was just three or four years ago. Um, that has a lot to do with, I think, the economics of uh, drug trafficking. Um, it's probably easier to source uh, from, you know, laboratories and factories overseas uh, ship in a uh, much more cost-effective, much lighter container because of the potency um, than it is to, you know, deal with your classic supply chains in, you know, opium poppy fields uh, somewhere else. Um, so there's probably someone who's taken a lot closer look at this, but I think it has uh, the increasing frequency that we're seeing nowadays, I think is largely driven by supply chain, but then there's also psychosocial uh, elements of addiction. Um when we think, think about things like traumatic stress, you know, in the pandemic over the last couple of years, we can all relate to that. Um, that's going to manifest in ways um, that we may not fully understand yet, but I think that we're seeing in the increasing rates of mental health and addiction across the board. Um, and then becomes particularly pronounced when it comes to fentanyl synthetic opioids, just because that's a very very toxic and potent and unforgiving uh, compound. Uh, 
Um, so let me ask this question though. You 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 mentioned a little bit earlier. You talked about the stickiness and the potency. Could you talk a little bit more about that? What does that mean? And also, what is it used for medically? Actually, huh. what you know, you know, it's like the public probably hears fentanyl, and, and immediately what comes to their mind is an illicit drug. Okay, as opposed to how is it used truly medically for medical purposes. So go ahead, the stickiness and then the medical aspect. Yeah, by uh, stickiness and potency, I guess the technical term is uh, the affinity at the receptor level. So the uh, synthetic opioid or the fentanyl molecule um, will interact with these receptors in the brain uh, in a way that's um, a very tight fit. And I, a, a lock and key or you know a plug and a socket are the two analogies that come to mind. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some compounds that aren't a tight fit, and so they don't interact with the, the receptor as well. Uh, so people might not have... Um, uh, People might have might might not have much of a noticeable effect. Um, the I guess practically speaking, for patients, that stickiness um, and that affinity means that it's a near instant fit. It's a tight fit, and that means uh, highly activation, highly act. That can mean highly activating at the receptor. Uh, if we're talking in terms of agonism and, and whatnot. Um, and that means for the person who's using the fentanyl, that's a quick high. Uh, and in this case, it's short acting. So it's quick on, quick off. Um, the How that's used in a medical setting, uh, I've been using, I've been an ER doc for close to 20 years, been using fentanyl throughout my career. Uh, and if it's formulated safely, if it's prepared in, uh, in a, in a pharmaceutical compound, uh, type, uh, preparation, um, it's very safe. Uh, and, you know, if we, we use it for pain control, we use it for instant pain control, uh, in, in the emergency room. So if someone comes in with say a femur fracture, uh, from a car accident, uh, they're writhing in pain. Uh, you want them comfortable. You want to treat their pain uh, in a mm. quick manner. Um, that fentanyl is a great drug to use pharmaceutically uh, in that instance. Um, and when people come in through the door, you know, they're brought in by ambulance, they're writhing in pain. You're not exactly sure what the problem is. You don't know if it's going to be two or three hours until they get stabilized, or maybe they just need um, some instant pain relief and then they calm down. Mm -hmm. uh, so the fentanyl being quick on and quick off, it uh, start, you, you push um, a certain dosage amount and uh, people will go from writhing in pain to comfortable within a minute or two. Wow. But then it also wears off within about 30 minutes. So, the scenario we common see, commonly see in the ER, someone comes in in pain, you get fentanyl, and you buy just enough time to get your x-rays and CAT scans uh, to see, okay, are there broken bones that need further um, 
uh, stabilization and maybe you need a longer acting pain medication um, or is so it, it so it helps it helps with um, quick diagnosis exactly because, yeah because it calms it calms the patient down until you're able to get a clear picture on what's really going on that's exactly right in, in the emergency room that's that the case so let so you know for our listening audience i'll tell you i you know in our in our background crew here has done a great job but just today literally in today's paper okay there was a, an article that said that the u.s life ex- expectancy has gone down okay so hold on to this for a second american born in 2021 will live to the the average life expectancy is 76 and a half years. That's down six months from 2020. And what are the two reasons? Number one was the pandemic, COVID had had an incredible impact on life expectancy. And number two reason was overdoses. 2021 saw close to 107,000 steepest hike in overdoses this is it's the steepest hike that we've ever ever seen and it's due to synthetic opioids namely number one was fentanyl that was in today's paper okay a couple of days ago fentanyl was seized by the the drug enforcement agency the dea and they seized enough fentanyl they seized more than 379 million potentially fatal doses of illegal fentanyl this year. That's enough fentanyl to kill every single person in the United States. Now that's, to me, these are, this is overwhelming, overwhelming and, and incredibly uh, it's an incredible, difficult public health problem. And we're, we're seeing articles about this daily. So what's, what's your sense of all of this? I mean, you know, why, why are we seeing so much of this, like all of a sudden? And what, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, um, boy. Uh, the... Let me first say that we are also seeing this in the emergency room in terms of you know the amount of uh, overdoses, uh, both fatal and non-fatal overdoses. Um, we are hearing from our patients about the increasing number of funerals, um, that some of these uh, public health and public safety um, statistics also speak to. The, so I think it's a, a large and growing problem, and there's different ways of looking at it. And you just pointed to a couple that we don't typically... By the way, it's, a, it's the number one cause of death now. Get a lot of this one. It's the number one cause of death for adults between the ages of 18 and 45. Number one cause. And it's it's surpassed suicide, gun violence and car accidents for years and years the number one cause of of death for this age category were accidents and of that 
car accidents, automobile accidents. Well, now it, it, it this is just gone right to the forefront of what's killing this age category. And Stan, I want to just say this uh, and to Dr. Z-Way as well, is that they're only catching about 5% to 10% of the illegal fentanyl that's coming into the country. So if you got a, already got enough to kill everybody, and but they're only, yeah. they're only catching 5 to 10%. I mean, we have I'm a major Right. Yeah. So, so Dr. Uh, Dr. Z-Way, I, I also wanted to get back to, to ask you this question, because you started off by talking about, you know, heroin and stuff like that. What's the difference between fentanyl and heroin and those other kinds of substances? Yeah, so um, fentanyl is a synthetic compound. Um, heroin, I think, is semi-synthetic, and morphine is a, a naturally occurring compound. Okay. Um, the I think the potency uh, ratios, synthetics or fentanyl are 100 times more potent than, than morphine. Um, the, uh, you know, numbers that we were just talking about in terms of public health and life expectancy and amounts of seizures, we're really talking about um, something that looks more like an infectious disease curve than, uh, you know, a chronic condition uh, or accident or poisoning curve. The, the number of car accidents and gun violence uh, you know, maybe fluctuating or uh, growing slightly, but it's relatively stable over time. It's nothing like the sharp increases that we're seeing uh, in fentanyl-related overdoses. Um, poisoning, I think, is uh, an appropriate term in this sense. The A lot of times what happens is um, these fentanyl compounds, these synthetic opioid compounds, are mixed in or cut with um, uh, other substances or they're they're marketed as uh, you know counterfeit oxycodone. Um, a lot of patients will talk about uh, they think they're taking Percocets or Perc 30s. Um, they may think they're taking nowadays even ecstasy or uh, Adderall, any pressed pill nowadays um, is at risk of uh, having fentanyl contamination in that sense. Um, Prince, if you remember, uh, the uh, uh, I think it was in 2016, uh, our beloved mm -hmm. Prince passed away from an unintentional overdose. Uh, he thought he was taking Vicodin um, because he had an addiction uh, from pain pill prescriptions, um, but he took a couple of Vicodin that were contaminated with fentanyl uh, and that led to his overdose. That's the pattern that we're seeing nowadays. Uh, you know, there's this campaign, this risk communication campaign, one pill can kill. Um, and that's because of the fentanyl, uh, because of the potency, uh, and because of this contamination in counterfeit pills or, or in other substances, um, the, if there's, a, a slight error in preparation, uh, it can be a deadly um, deadly dose without people knowing it. So I don't believe that people are out there looking for fentanyl, um, but I think it's becoming more and more of a contaminant uh, in counterfeit pills and in other substances. So in that sense, I really think these are more poisoning than they are overdoses. 
if that makes sense. And they aren't, and these and these particular things aren't the um, shall we say the drug of choice for people who are addicted to drugs. They just happen to be taking what they think is their drug of choice, and then it's laced with a, a contaminated synthetic fentanyl, and then boom, then they 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 can it they can, that can lead to death. Is that what we're is that a fair statement? Yes, absolutely. And in fact, I saw a presentation by someone who's um, with a national toxicology lab uh, just a couple months ago, and they were talking about what they're seeing in urine toxicology screens across the country uh, is one, you know, things that um, uh, urine samples that light up for uh, other drugs like cocaine or methamphetamine are also lighting up positive for fentanyl around 30 or 40% currently. So there's a a large and growing number of people who think they're taking something else uh, that are actually getting fentanyl with that. Um, You know, you can only speculate why that's the case, um, but there's probably some, you know, narco trafficking uh, business rationale that you're going to get more reliable repeat customers uh, with the fentanyl than you are with these other common illicits. Um, And in addition to that, uh, there's hardly any conventional heroin circulating nowadays, uh, at least in the upper Midwest and and in the New England area, based on the data that I've seen. Um, It's all fentanyl. It's pretty much 100% positivity when it comes to fentanyl in uh people who think that they're taking heroin um that's a that's a z way i i i just want to just interject real quickly here uh, if you don't mind uh we were talking about the about how people identify this i remember when uh, we started off talking about opioids a little bit you know uh, earlier in my uh in my walk around my journey down this pathway we would go into certain communities they would say like we don't do opioids you know, I think na- names are, are very important in terms of deceiving people and thinking that they're not doing something when they are actually yeah. doing something. And I think that uh, some of the street names, people, are, they're not looking to die, but they might be looking for some, what they call space, what, uh, a pace, China girl, China town, China white, dance fever. I mean, these are street names uh, that people are utilizing because they're, they're not doing fentanyl. They're doing something else, but there's fentanyl in it, and they don't really realize that it is it is a a, a, a very very dangerous drug because that's how people are cutting it now. Yeah, um, the and that that uh, points to the need for really improved risk communication. I think this show is a great example of uh, getting word out in terms of helping people understand what the risks are. Uh, so that they can be better informed and make better choices uh, to to stay alive, basically. Um, yeah, I want to so, ask real quick, uh, real quick, because I what what are the health risks uh, with taking fentanyl? Uh, because uh, when you and I talked before, we talked about how this particular product rewires the brain. You know, you you talked about before, like we talk about choice and. And it gets into that. It gets into that area where we talk about uh, people look at people that take uh, these drugs and say, "Well, that's just a choice that they're making." But you have a different 
feeling about that. It's just not necessarily a choice anymore. You know, it's a consequence of their choice. You know, yeah. but talk about that. Yeah. And, you know, I can, um, I can talk about my own professional experience uh, in um, understanding this disease. Uh, When I trained 20 years ago, um, you know, I didn't necessarily understand uh, that addiction is a biological disease. Um, The, I I had the same level of stigma that I think, you know, broader society, uh, although we aspire to better, uh, there's still a, a tremendous amount of stigma when it comes to addiction in general and uh, opiate use disorder in particular. Um, so when people would come into the ER after a non-fatal overdose, they got you know rescued by Narcan. Uh, they went from uh, blue in the face uh, to breathing again. Um, the That's the kind of thing as ER docs uh, and paramedics, we count as a win, right? Uh, the, um, but routinely, what would happen is these patients, as soon as they were, or not long after they were revived, uh, would want to go right back out and start using again, um, which causes uh, some frustration and concern. Uh, and, you know, for I'm embarrassed to say how many years in my career I would get frustrated with patients. Um, I would try to be helpful. I would try to, you know, have uh, some kind of come to Jesus moment, you know, this is, you dodged the bullet, you you were almost dead, you're no longer almost dead, and, you know, here's an opportunity to really uh, reflect on that and, and think about your life goals and choices and whatnot. Something to that effect, but it was really more condescending than it was helpful. Uh, now that I understand that this is, uh, you know, we're talking about the molecular mechanism, we're talking about the potency, uh, we're talking about how uh, fentanyl as a compound um, really starts overriding the brain um, because if your brain is, if these receptors, endorphin receptors are used to interacting with a much less potent chemical like endorphin, um, if they start being exposed to something like fentanyl, that's hundreds, if not way, way higher in terms of affinity and potency, the brain is no longer making endorphin. So they become dependent uh, on that synthetic yeah. compound. And when that synthetic compound is either, um, you know, dissipates, it fades away, or it's knocked off by something like Narcan, it's withdrawn from that uh, receptor. The withdrawal symptoms uh, become really overwhelming. And that's pain, that's nausea, vomiting, uh, that's uh, agitation. So in the setting of a patient who's come in uh, after a non-fatal overdose, and they're now having these severe withdrawal symptoms, uh, it's a biological response that they want to go and self-medicate with more fentanyl. It's important for me and doctors like me to understand that we have a medication um, that is highly effective in treating withdrawal symptoms, uh, and that's buprenorphine or Suboxone. Um, there are other medications um, that are probably beyond the scope of this talk or this uh, this conversation, but rather than allowing people, or rather than, you know, 
watching people go out the door so they can self-medicate, uh, we can provide medications um, if with a little bit of skill and uh, some knowledge, um, we can start, we can offer uh, a stabilizing medication um, that, and I've seen this, the effect of this medication and people who are having withdrawal symptoms, I would say within 20 or 30 minutes, uh, they are then stabilized um, because they don't have that empty receptor, that empty endorphin receptor uh, that, you know, their body can't stabilize the brain at that point. Um, so there's a, a, a medication that we give. And once people are stabilized and they don't have those biological symptoms, then you can have a conversation about, um, you know, what are your goals? Uh, here's a way, if you want to live longer, here's a great tool that you can use. Um, so, you know, that I, so, you know, when you, what we're alluding to here, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, is um, previously we talked about immediate pain like when when a patient comes into the to the er you're talking about using fentanyl for immediate pain relief that also aids you or helps you uh in your practice for diagnostic purposes it gives you a window for diagnostic purposes now yeah. i'm asking now i'm going to ask this question is you know for people who are I guess addicted or whatever. Are we talking about pain management for these people now instead of just pay, immediate pain relief? Are we talking like a longer term pain management that they—that's why they're taking this drug? Yeah, um, I think of it as uh, brain healing. Um, brain healing, interesting. With opiate use disorder. Um, who is, you know, if they're actively using, their brains are uh, uh, dependent on this chemical. Um, and that's a, a, a daily struggle, right? Because the, the chemical wears off rather quickly. Um, so they might start off with uh, cravings that turn into withdrawal symptoms that turn into uh, increasingly uncomfortable um, uh, symptoms. The pain is one of the effects that's linked to that endorphin receptor. Um, there are other uh, effects that manifest through withdrawal symptoms. Um, but when I think of Suboxone for patients, uh, medications like buprenorphine uh, for patients with, with um, opiate use disorder, I think initially uh, around withdrawal management uh, mm -hmm. to stabilize during those withdrawal episodes. And then in terms of longer maintenance of use, uh, I think of in terms of brain healing, much like insulin for a diabetic. Uh, if someone's pancreas is not making insulin, uh, they need that medication uh, yeah. in order to you know maintain their, their metabolism and, 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 and whatnot. Um, in that analogy, uh, no amount of um, exercise or behavioral mod modification is going to be is going to be able to overcome uh, that biological need uh, for the missing insulin. 
Gotcha. Uh, the in opiate use disorder, uh, that brain can heal um, gradually. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Uh, it's not just the biological brain healing, but it's also whatever, you know, untreated traumas um, that might have led someone to use in the first place. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about treatment for opiate use disorder, we we uh, consider medication. For me, I consider medication as a first step of brain stabilization. Uh, but then I think of broader treatment in terms of, you know, therapy, counseling that can be individual one-on-one -on -one, or that can be group therapy. Uh, I think of structural, um, uh, you know, some type of structured environment that's away from that daily routine to uh, to give space for some of these healing uh, mechanisms to to start kicking in, uh, I think of you know some of the wraparound what we call wraparound services or um, social financial supports. Uh, I think of it's such a socially isolating disease uh, that establishing new healthy connections um, is a big part of healing. But all of that is a lot easier to do if your brain is stabilized uh, with medication. So, you know, Clarence, you know, you know that we've, we talk on this show about, um, you know, the aspects of, of prevention, intervention, uh, disease management, et cetera. So um, my first question is, man, you know, I kept thinking, my God, what if somebody takes this, you know, these, these, um, laced fentanyl uh, pills or what have you, and they drink alcohol. I mean, what, you know, it's just like, my God, you know, are, are, they, are they really, is that like automatically a sentence for death? That's, so that's one question I have. And then the other question I have is, how is it that we can truly help um, citizenry on the prevention so that we don't have to see this, uh, the primary prevention. So number one is mixing, and then number two is prevention. You know what I'm saying? That, that was actually where I was getting ready to go with Dr. Z. Yeah, I mean, this is overwhelming. Yeah, which is that, and, and Dr. Z, I, I really, I, I, I do thank you because I think you, you've, you've definitely helped educate me even more than our, our personal uh, conversations. But what is the message that we should be sharing exactly. with unity? Because the reality is, is that, you know, we have enough fentanyl to kill everybody. We know everybody is not doing fentanyl. But what 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 are the messages that we should be sharing with our community about the the danger of this issue? And how do we the other part, too, is how do we interact with those who are our loved ones yeah. who might be utilizing drugs. Uh, and you just talked about the fact that some of this stuff, you know, the, some of this healing takes years, you know, and, and some of us might be at that point of, we, we've lost, already lost our patience with that, with our, with our loved ones, you know what I mean? So, you know, what, and, and again, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm trying to ask about messaging. What is it that we really should be talking about when it comes to this issue and substance abuse? Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing for me, and this isn't just uh, the community, but this 
is also public health and uh, uh, the medical community. Um, yeah, yeah. The stigma is really the biggest barrier to solving this problem um, for for a number of reasons. But uh, in terms of important messaging, uh, I think understanding that this is a medical disease um, that has medication available. Uh, for me and my own, you know, kind of professional uh, evolution of understanding uh, was hugely important um, so that I can better help uh, these patients. So understanding that it's a biological disease um, and that there's medications available, uh, I think is fundamentally important to, to turning this around. Um, the you know the increasing potency nowadays people are seeing all these scary headlines uh yeah uh it's sometimes hard to make sense of uh you know what to do in situations like this remember with early covid uh um there's a lot of uncertainty and fear um the that drowned out uh uh, uh some of the public health messaging um correct so you know, also understanding that um, people who are struggling with opiate use disorder uh, can have, can get better. This is a life-saving medication. It reduces mortality, buprenorphine, uh, and other medically assisted treatment, or what we call medication for opiate use disorder, can reduce mortality by 70% uh, thereabouts. Um which is more life-saving uh, than, you know, aspirin for heart attacks or uh, yeah. uh, statins, uh, you know, cholesterol medications. Some of our yeah. most uh, uh, effective medications, um, this ranks, uh, you know, on right top or better uh, than, um, than things that we rely on routinely. So, I think partly uh, just changing that paradigm from uh, this, you know, fatalistic, scary, uncertain, and stigmatized condition um, towards something that can be treated medically will also be uh, hugely important. The you know, it's important to realize too that we don't want people to get to that point, okay, yeah. where they have to be treated medically, even though medically we can treat them um, successfully we don't want people to have that false sense of security that oh okay i'll go ahead and take fentanyl you know because what the hell if i you know if all hell breaks loose so you know they can take care of me you know medically that's that's good for intervention yeah. but for the actual prevention we don't want people to get started on this stuff to begin with yeah, yeah. So for prevention, you know, for me, the most uh, uh, succinct summary is this one pill can kill campaign. Yeah, uh, yeah. People have an understanding that, you know, what's circulating nowadays uh, is unlike alcohol or unlike, you know, your other illicit substances, ecstasy or, or even THC or whatnot, uh, people can go a long time, years of uh of use and dependence um the without necessarily having the same risk of uh dying each time that they use it uh right so this is a very different very different problem um 
in terms of one pill has the potential to kill. Yeah. The, what you're talking about in terms of, you know, the amount of seizures, uh, uh, fentanyl, it's such a profitable uh, illicit substance in narco trafficking circles. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not going to go away, unfortunately. The supply, I don't see uh, going away anytime soon. Um, so we really need to catch up with our response. Uh, prevention is a big part of that. And education. Education, yes. Harm reduction, which is a whole other uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, topic worthy of discussion. Uh, but treatment, um, the which I think probably gets the least amount of airtime. Uh, so thank you for uh, you know dedicating this show uh, to that uh, or allowing space for on your show for that. Uh, treatment as a uh, off ramp for people who you know may already be uh, right. uh, affected by this, for family members who know someone's affected by it. Um, we need to get more visibility and we need to expand access uh, to treatment for opioid disorder. Yeah, yeah. Clarence, what do you, you know, you're in the community a heck of a lot. So do you hear conversations about this from um, people in the community? Or is, it, or is it something that you as a health professional have to bring up? Uh, it's a combination of both. I think that that's one of the reasons why I was uh, I was so uh, excited about having Dr. Z-Way with us. I mean, we've been working with the city of Minneapolis. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a shout out to the city of Minneapolis because they have been doing some really great things. In fact, uh, that was how I met Dr. Z. Uh, but uh, there is a growing recognition that we have a problem. Let's put it like that. Yeah, There's a growing yeah. recognition that we have a problem. I don't think people know how to enter the conversation, which gets back to what you were talking about, the whole idea about prevention and education, which is one of the reasons why it's important for us to have these kind of dialogues. Yeah. So the, 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 the reality is this, is that we know that there's an issue. <clears throat> we know that there are people that are concerned about it. We have to give people an entry, a entry point to be able to engage in this conversation. And I think that that's uh, what we're trying to do in terms of finding out where are the, uh, where are the treatment centers? Where are the doctors that are that are willing to go out and talk to the community about this issue? You know, what are what are the real facts? Because you know, we we a lot of times we deal in 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 uh, in issues. You know, we have myths and things like that. But this is something that uh, I think that this particular uh, show is going to really educate a lot of people in yeah. the terms of what we're really dealing with. And so uh, again, Dr. Z, I I appreciate you sharing some things because. You know, Stan, yeah, I think you asked a great question when you said, uh, what's the medical, what, what's the legitimate use, use of it? I, I yeah. never, I, you know, I don't think, I don't think fentanyl had a legitimate use. Yeah. You know, I just, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, you don't I, know. I didn't know if I, I did, right. Yeah, I, mean, you I don't know. You know, as so, soon as you hear fentanyl, you think, oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. That, that, that's exactly. the first thing that kind so, of comes to your mind. Yeah. But from so, a physician's standpoint, there is a really good. Right use for it right under yes. the guidance of medical personnel right yes which, and which, with which, certainty and quality control you know if you're exactly. giving 25 micrograms of fentanyl in a hospital setting you know exactly uh, what's going to happen which is right. completely different from a pill right. street yeah yeah correct yeah. correct well all right so um you know we always end these these shows um with the idea of 
going forward with 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 health chatter first of all we 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 invite you back if you ever want to get a particular message out there um that you think from a medical perspective would be really useful you could use this as a venue Wonderful. absolutely any any time all you do is give us a buzz and you're on the show um so that's number one. Then number two, as far as what we could do um, is keep that conversation going like we do with so many of, of our topics. And we yeah. hope that our, that our, our listening audience, I be, I, I'll be honest with you, I became very educated in 40 minutes here. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. like, it's amazing, really. So, I, you know, really, I, I, I thank you greatly for being on our show. Last yeah. comments. Go ahead. Dr. Z, what's your last comment? Last comment for me, um, boy, uh, less stigma, more treatment uh, can save a lot of lives. Uh, thank you. And I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for the work that you've done. I mean, I, I get to know, know you on a very personal level. And I know how, how important it is to have people like you to be a part of the conversation that we're having and part of the work. You know, for me, it was a treat because... I got to meet you, albeit, you know, this way, but um, hopefully our paths will meet in person soon. And uh, you can rely on Health Chatter and us to help you, for sure. Yeah, well, thank you. It's so important to have this voice and access um, to the community. And like I say at the top of the show, uh, it's really at the community level that the awareness, that the understanding, that the um, changes are going to be made. Absolutely. Uh, so that's hugely important. So thank you. Thank you for everybody. We have great shows coming up. Um, we'll have one on, on sleep and sleep apnea. We have a show coming up on homelessness and we're also going to be addressing health equity. So stay tuned and, and keep listening to health chatter. Everybody keep health chatting away. Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, healthchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Health Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's healthchatterpodcast.com.